0: Good morning. How are y'all doing? Good. Good. That's good. One of you is doing great. That's wonderful. We are glad to hear that. We're glad that you're here on this beautiful uh, sunny morning. Grab your Bibles, you know. I speak that by faith, right? Yes. Grab your Bibles, the book of Luke this morning, chapter 24. We start there. And then we work our way into the book of Acts. Today we start our study in the book of Acts. And I'm excited about this. I've been looking forward to this for some time as we've been talking through this. And we have been planning this out. It, it's exciting to get into this book. It's so powerful. The The struggle of all of this has been that there's so much here that we could simply spend probably years working our way through the book of Acts. We will not do that. We have gone through and selected things that we feel like the Lord is speaking to us in our church to share with you from from that book. Today, part one of our study, and simply it's titled, Clothed with Power. And, And if we're going to talk about church, which you saw this tremendous video that Seth and his team produced for us this morning to lead into our study today. And if we're going to talk about the church then we have to simply start with what sets the church apart from all the other entities in the world in which we live today. And you say, oh, Mark, well, I I know what that is, and, and that is, well, it's the bride of Christ. Well, then you are correct in saying that. And that is, it's made up of individuals who are simply functioning collectively as a body. We know that we've all been given certain places in the body to fill. Yes, absolutely. All of those and even more. But when we come to text like we're going to read in just a moment from Luke chapter 24 and verse 47, what Jesus says to us, oh, it's quite different. What he says there, he doesn't say about anything or anyone else. And it makes us begin to think and brings us to this thought of truly of that of clothed with power and how that applies to the church today. So can I begin reading this morning before we get into the book of Acts, because it leads in so perfectly, Acts, Luke chapter 24, verse 47 and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, it says, the words of Christ. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stop for a minute, just a reference back to the Old Testament, that what Christ is doing, he is quoting his own words. I love saying that because sometimes we say, oh, Jesus is quoting the Old Testament, but he is God. So he's quoting his own words from the Old Testament, and that is from the book of Joel, chapter 2 in verse 28, about the promise of of that of empowerment for the believer. But stay in the city, he says, until, and here is that statement that we started with, but you are clothed with power from on high. Now, what he's doing here, let me set the scene for you for a moment. He's speaking to his disciples at this moment of the ascension. Jesus gives them some very detailed instruction. He says, hey, here's what you're going to do. Here's where you're going to go, first of all. And while you're there, this is what I want you to do. And the purpose of waiting there? Oh, he says it's power. He said, it is the power. That is the purpose of your wait there. And when you look at this in context, verse 49, you see that what happens is this, that, that power that Jesus is speaking to his disciples about? Somehow, that power is connected out of the proclamation of the gospel beginning in Jerusalem and working its way through the rest of the world. It's such a powerful thought. But up to this point, his disciples, oh, they still believe and they're still holding to this thought that Jesus has a plan of simply taking over Jerusalem again, kicking out the Romans in their occupation, sitting in that of his rightful throne of David, and they're going to become like vice kings with him and they're going to rule in Jerusalem. But God's plan, that's not his plan yet for them, but they still don't understand that. And we're going to bear that out in the book of in the book of Acts in just a moment. But to understand the church, then we have to start, I think, with the words of Jesus concerning the arrival of power that the disciples are yet to experience. It's a power, he says, that is simply to spread the gospel through all the corners of the world. It's the mission of the church today. And when you begin to read the book of Acts, what we realize is this. It's a bridge. It's simply a bridge from the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a bridge between the gospels and the rest of the New Testament. <clears throat> Excuse me. In order to really understand fully, I believe, the rest of the New Testament, you kind of have to really get a good working understanding of the book of Acts. It's written by Luke. We know that. We understand that. And it shows how simply the apostles carry on the work of Christ that Luke simply gives us a very good historical account of in the book that he wrote of his namesake. And, and, but the book of Acts is one of those books that when we simply find ourselves starting a study in that, we tend to have some pre- preconceived ideas about what this is going to look like. We do. And life is like that, isn't it? We have preconceived ideas about a lot of things. This weekend, uh, Friday and Saturday... Reba and I had the opportunity, and Reba's still there with our granddaughters in Atlanta. But I had the opportunity, along with Reba, to spend two days with them in Atlanta while their parents are going off having a lot of fun. They stuck us with the kids, you know? That's what you do to grandparents, which we love it. It's wonderful. I told them, I told my son and daughter-in-law, listen, here's the thing, that when your car leaves the threshold of your driveway, all of your rules cease, and it's also Papa and Graham's rules. Now, that's exactly what's going to go down, and so everything is just great, and so we had this great weekend, and I have a granddaughter that's one, and that's Abigail, and I have another one that is seven, and that's Emma. And we had a wonderful time. We did puppet shows, and we did all kinds of stuff together, and it was a great time. So I came home yesterday afternoon, got in the car after having two children, you know, for two days. I got in the car, and I take a, took a real deep breath, you know? I did, and I was thankful that I was leaving Reba with them, and I was coming home. <clears throat> yeah, and so I got in the car, and, and I got everything set up, and I had my snacks, and I had my coffee on my way, drive back from Atlanta to to Greenville or to Anderson last night, and so I, I got all the things set in my car, got it all ready. Got my, uh, I had my phone out, had my iTunes set to go, and I was going to have this amazing worship time on the way home. And so I kind of had my Elevate Worship ready to play, and so I wanted to get out of traffic. I wanted to get out of traffic and once I got out of traffic on 85, then I was going to have this time between the Lord and I and I was going to play this music and I was going to play it as loud as I wanted to and I was going to sing as loud as I wanted to because there's nobody to tell me how bad I sing in the car. It was just me and the Lord, you know, and we're going to have this time and so I had this preconceived idea of what that was going to happen when I hit that play button. And so I got on eighty-five and I hit the play button. And all of a sudden, it wasn't Elevate Worship. You know what it was? It was Baby Shark. Do 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 do. Baby Shark is exactly that's what's blaring in my car. You know? Yes. Now I know that I just set that mind worm into your brain, right? That you can't get that out. And if you have kids, you've heard that before. Oh, it sticks in your mind. You think, oh, Lord, please get this out of my brain. And that's what I had this idea of what was immediately going to happen. And Elevate worship was going to take place. And this wonderful time and in Baby Shark. And that's stuck in my brain for the rest of the trip. Listen, when we approach the book of Acts, because of some of our church backgrounds, or maybe you have just read portions of it, you sort of have this preconceived idea of what it's about. And as we talk about other scriptures over the years together, we say, oh, the book of Acts, it's prescriptive. And, and so what it does, is it's going to tell us kind of what we should do. And say, no, no, if you read it, it's very historical because we know that Luke wrote it. So it's very, very descriptive that it tells us a lot about the work of the disciples in that time. And can I tell you the beautiful thing about the book of Acts is it is both. It is absolutely both. That's why I'm excited about us teaching and exploring this book together, because it is absolutely both. Because you have what you have, is you have in chapter one, you have the ascension, you have the disciples staying there, that Jesus is speaking to them, and they're, they're watching him rise, there's men clothed in white around him, and they're speaking to him, saying, why are you standing here gazing? You have all those kinds of things that's happening in the book of Acts, and then later on in that first chapter, at the very end, you also have some prescriptive prescriptive kind of thing, where it says that, hey, here are some steps if you want to be clothed with power, if you want this power to be a witness. And so I love the book of Acts because when it tells us the things that God has done, it bolsters our faith to truly trust him, to move out in the things that he's called us to do. That is the beauty of the book of Acts. It really is. But what I realize is this, the book of Acts has a point. It has a very powerful point for you and I. And it's very easy, I think, for us to get... And this is kind of an introduction for a moment. It's very easy for us to get kind of lost, I think, in the miraculous that we find there. And the miraculous is extremely important. Understand that. And the book of Acts is absolutely full of the the miraculous. It is. But we can get caught up in things like signs and wonders and tongues and prophecy and healing. We can get caught up in all of that... And can I tell you something, and please love me through this, and let me have the opportunity this morning to share the text and the teaching with you, that those things are not the point. Those things are not the point. They are events that lead us to the point of understanding of the book of Acts, but they are not the point that I believe the book of Acts has a very singular point. Understand that. And it is not spiritual gifts, and it's not tongues. As valuable as those things are, and they're gifts to the church, we understand that. But those things are not the point. And when we started with Luke 24 and 49, that leads us as a clue. That gives us a clue truly as what the point of the book of Acts is all about. So go to the book of Acts chapter 1 and And we begin reading there all the way through verse 11, 1 through 11. It says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, it's exactly almost the same way that Luke starts his book. In the book of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So if the book of Luke is a recording of the works of Christ, then Acts is a continuation of those works played out through the church. It's simply the works of Christ played out through you and I and through our lives. It's that. And so he goes on to say until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive, verse 3 said. That's one of the most powerful statements that you can really find in Scripture, that he presents himself alive because in that statement we find the hope of all of mankind that Jesus rose from the dead. What none other could do, he rose from the dead. And we find that power being played out in our lives in the church today. So it says this, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering of many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when we take that contextually back with Luke 24 and verse 49, that being clothed with power from on high, what we realize is this. Jesus is talking about the very same thing. Or Luke is recording the words of Christ. They're talking about the very same thing. This is what it's about. This is about power. It's about power concerning that of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the believer. Empowerment to do what, though, you ask? And I love you because you always ask the right questions. So what is he giving us power to do? That's that's the question. Verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. I told you, see, they're still thinking that Jesus is going to run out the Romans and set up his kingdom in that of Jerusalem. But here, verse 8, here is the hinge pin of the entire book of Acts. If you read everything and you skip verse 8 of chapter 1, then you have really missed the point of the entire book. Because verse 8 says this, but you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The very, excuse me, the very last words that Christ speaks before his ascension. Because look at verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them with white robes. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Mark, now wait a minute. You know, hang on. Because are you going to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning? Are you going to do that? Because we talked about this a little bit last week because we have this little weird vibe when it comes to talking about the Trinity and focusing on the Holy Spirit for a little while. Because we're okay when you're on the Father because the Father's like God. You're really cool with Jesus because he's, like we said last week, he's a six-pound, three-ounce baby Jesus in the manger, right? So it's, we're okay with that. But the Holy Spirit, oh, we get very nervous. He's like your weird uncle that shows up at the family reunion, right? Right? Yes, then you kind of avoid him because you're kind of afraid of what might happen if you get too close to him. I you can't teach Acts without dealing with Acts chapter one verse eight. You can't. It's not possible. The empowerment of the believer to be a witness for the kingdom of God. That is the point. That is where we have to start. That's the nucleus, the center, and we work our way out in this teaching from that. Because truly, I believe that receiving power precedes and leads to being a witness for Christ. Because when I look at the disciples, they have been called from the beginning. Understand that. When Jesus calls them out, when they're fishermen, he says, Hey, follow me, what? I'm going to make you who? Fisher of men is what he says. So, what has changed? And he's saying, Hey, now I want you to be clothed with power. What has changed? It's critical that we understand what needs to be done in the life of the apostles and the disciples. It's critical that you and I have a good working knowledge, theological knowledge of that, because it's exactly the power that you and I need to do the work of the church in the world in which we live. So, I start with this thought power is essential. Power is essential. The church is born in power. Understand that. If you go back to Luke 24, 49, we've already read it once, but I have to read it to you again. It says this in 24 and 49, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But he says, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. It is that that power precedes witness. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4. We've already read that. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said that you have heard from me, that truly Acts is a bridge for you and I to the rest of the New Testament and the understanding of the writings of the writers from that point on. What is the common thread of the two verses that I just shared? Power comes first. That's exactly what he teaches, that power comes first that this gospel is to be taken to all the nations, Jesus tells us, beginning in Jerusalem. You start in Jerusalem, he says. You go, to the Jeru- you go to the coffee shop in Jerusalem, and you share my gospel there in the power of the Spirit, and then you move on to Judea, and you move on to Samaria, and you move on to the other most parts of the world. The witness of the disciples is to be expanded. He's expanding their spiritual influence in the world outside of Jerusalem. Their cultural boundaries. Outside of just simply sharing Jesus as the Messiah with the Jews, He's moving them out of their comfort zone. But it starts with your neighbor. It starts with those that you are surrounded with. It starts with those that you may be familiar with. It may start with the person sitting next to you or the person in front of you this morning or the one behind you or the person that lives on the street next to you. And you say, but Mark, you don't understand my neighbors. You don't understand. You don't want them here at Hope Fellowship. No, you don't. I live next door to the Manson family and you don't want them here. Some of you may not know who that is. Google that. And, and the, later, yeah. And, and so can I tell you what God is doing in our lives as the church and as believers that He is empowering us by the Holy Spirit to simply pull down the strongholds of the enemy and it starts around us. But Mark, I'm not comfortable with doing that. I'm not comfortable with sharing the gospel. I'm not comfortable with discipling someone or being discipled. I'm not comfortable with going to my brother and sharing my heart and them sharing their heart with me. I'm not comfortable. Understand, that's why we have the Holy Spirit, because power precedes witness. That's why it's given. That's the whole purpose of all of this. It's the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. So what does the Holy Spirit really do within our lives? Oh, can I tell you two things... That I know of. The first is this, that the Holy Spirit relation, it's about the Holy Spirit's relationship with us. And that is if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Absolutely, He does. If you have trusted Christ for your salvation, then He resides inside of you. What does the Holy Spirit do in our life before and as we're coming to Christ? He simply opens our heart to the knowledge that you and I have to have a Savior. He draws us to God. God begins to work in our life. Sometimes I think we believe that, that truly the work of God begins in our life after salvation. Not true. It begins way before salvation. Because only God can reveal to us by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are in need of a Savior. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does within our lives. So if you're a Christian, then He resides or He dwells within you. And in Acts, you see this. You see this powerfully. You see the proclamation of the gospel. You see the Holy Spirit opening people's hearts. And then you see repentance. That is one relationship. But I think the next is what we find in Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1. That what we find is we find Jesus saying to a group of people who are without a doubt Christians. Christians. The disciples, they're without a doubt Christ's followers, that the Holy Spirit lives within them. So then he says, but go, and I want you to be clothed with power from on high. They're to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them for the purpose of power. There's that difference between... The Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us at salvation and having the Holy Spirit clothe us with power. Or as Acts says, being baptized with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, or the Spirit coming upon you. So what does it mean to be clothed in power from on high? What does that mean? And some of you are getting nervous. Because you don't know where I'm going with this, right? Yes, you have, you know, where, Mark, where are we and what is your slant here? Can I tell you our, our desire in teaching through the book of Acts is we're not teaching it with any kind of denominational overtones or flavors, not any whatsoever. We're just going to go to the scripture and we're going to simply say this is what the scripture says to us and we're going to make sure that it's in context and then you will allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate and open your heart and mind to what God is saying, but what does it mean to be clothed in power from on high? I read a little bit of this book called Joy Unspeakable by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones is a theologian, and he is a tremendous pastor, and he's a tremendous teacher, and he talks about this difference that being clothed in, the, in power from on high makes in our lives, and I love it because there's a line in there, it says, it blows the fuses of love in our life. It blows the fuses of love in our life. I want to quote something from the book for you this morning a little longer maybe than I normally would. I normally talk about C.S. Lewis, but I want to talk about Lloyd-Jones this morning for a moment. It's powerful. He said, this is this experience. This is what this experience is like. It's a great analogy, a great illustration of that of what it means to be clothed with power from on high. So here's what he says straight from the book as a direct quote. It is like a child walking along holding his father's hand. All is well. The child is happy. He feels secure. His father loves him. He believes that his father loves him but there is no unusual urge to talk about this or to sing about it. It is true and it is pleasant. Then suddenly the father startles the child by reaching down and sweeping him into his arms, hugging him tightly, kissing him on the neck and whispering, I love you so much. And then holding the stunned child back so that he can look into his face and saying with all of his heart, I'm so glad you are mine. Then hugging him once more. Then with unspeakable warmth and affection then he puts the child down and they continue their walk a pleasant and a happy walk with God is swept up into an unspeakable new level of joy and love assurance and reality that leaves the Christian so utterly certain of the immediate reality of Jesus that he's overflowing in praise and more free and bold in witness than he ever imagined he could be The child is simply stunned. The fuses of love are so overloaded they're almost blown out. The subconscious doubts that he was thinking about, but that uh, that he wasn 't thinking about, but that pop up every now and then they 're gone in their places, utter and indestructible assurance, so that you know that you know that you know that God is real, that Jesus lives, and that you are loved, and that to be saved is the greatest thing in the world and as you walk on down the street, you can scarcely contain yourself and you can you, and you want to cry out, my father loves me, my father loves me. Oh, what a great father I have. What a father, what a father. That is what it means to be clothed with power from on high. What a powerful statement. Jesus, I wish I had written that. That is so, that is so amazing. It really is. It puts it where I can understand. It It blows the fuses of our heart that we cannot contain at any moment anymore who God is and what God has done within our life. And we're walking along holding hand in hand with him. Yes, that's knowing him. But he saturates our life. That is being clothed in power from on high. And we can't contain what God is doing. Wow. And as we work our way through the book of Acts... What you're going to see is the church simply moving in that kind of power. Yes. And and can I tell you, just listen, I love the supernatural. Absolutely, I do. Uh, I, I long for the supernatural in our lives, the miraculous to take place in all of our lives. I love that. But what I do realize, and I think that this kind of helps us as we move through this, that understand this, it's not the supernatural that anchors our soul in Christ. It's not. Miracles, It's those things don't anchor our soul in Christ. They, were, they have never been able to bear under the weight of sustaining our own souls. That was never their purpose. They've always been about pointing us to the true, to the true source of all the power, and that is Jesus. That's the power of that. And I think that when we read it sometimes we get so caught up in all those amazing miraculous and supernatural happenings that we find. And they are extremely important and they have a role in what Acts is to teach us and what we glean from this. But I understand this that they do not sustain our souls but they point us back to the source of the power. And that is Christ to be a witness in this world to change this world for the sake of Christ to make him known to make Him known. So I tell you this this morning, and, and, and understand this, pray to be clothed with power from on high. Yes, pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Absolutely. Listen, but it doesn't mean that you're not a believer if you're not simply at that point in your life. Realize that. Don't leave here with any guilt. Never despise where you are in the journey that you're on with Christ. Understand that because He's leading you and He's walking with you and He's working in your heart. Understand it, but we have to deal with this subject. We have to. We we can't go any further. Mark, why don't you... Why don't you choose, like, Psalms, you know? Why don't you do that, you know? We could have gone there, you know? Or, or, or we, we just came off of, uh, well, this is Valentine's Day week. Dude, you could have, like, pulled out uh, a series from the Song of Solomon. You could have done that, you know? We could have done that, that's right. And, and had to issue disclaimers each week, yeah, for that. And have all the kids, like, stuck in somewhere with earmuffs on and all those kinds of things, right? So we could talk about those things. Why the book of Acts? Why? Because the world around us is dying to hear about Jesus, that's why. The world is full of people that are hurting. That is why this very room, in this very room this morning, there are people that are struggling who feel like there is no one in their life that they can speak to, talk to, open up to. And you're sitting here and God is saying, I want to clothe you with power. I want to baptize you with power today. I want to simply reside on you today so that you can go and you can discern the things in other people's heart. You can pray for them and you can love them and they can speak to you and you can speak back to them and you can see me working through you that's why we need the book of acts that's why it's for us listen let's just get this out right now i will never get through these notes this morning understand that okay if you could see what i have up here you would think dear goodness i should have packed a lunch and it's this early service you know we're not even close to lunch yet but, but I will, <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. Listen, the book of Acts is not relegated to a movement in, in Christendom. It's not relegated to a denomination in, in Christendom. It's not relegated to whatever you have as far as your denomination on a sign in your front yard. It is simply for the church. It's for the church. It's for those who simply believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, died for our sins, resurrected to bring us life, ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father, it is for the church. It is for you and I. But we have to deal with this promise of to be clothed with power from on high. So my second, second thought is this. It's power with purpose. It's power with purpose. I wrote on my notes out beside, if you have a pen and you have notes this morning, I wrote special power. That's the only thing I could come up with, you know, special power. And so I go back to Acts chapter one, verse eight, the hinge pen of the entire book. And it says, but you will see power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Listen, I, I had you to write special power in that because I wanted you to understand that this power is not it's not exclusive. Understand that. But it's very inclusive to all that believe. But it is different. It is absolutely a very special power. Because what I realize is this, that it takes power to become a Christian. Absolutely. But there's another dimension of power that Jesus is talking about. And the scriptures bear this out to be very true and very accurate to carry the gospel, to expand our areas of spiritual influence for the sake of the gospel, for you and I to move beyond the areas of our life that we are comfortable in. Hmm. Because when you read all of these texts that we've shared this morning, we have no doubt that the disciples are Christians. They're Christ's followers. They are believers before they receive this power. Jesus had promised that they would receive, and they did on the day of Pentecost. And we see this working throughout the book of Acts. But we have this conceived idea of what happens those 10 days from that of the ascension to that of the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. We have this perceived, again, perceived ideas that we have of the disciples simply being this wondering, confused, bewildered, kind of depressed group of cowards that kind of wander around. And all of a sudden, on the day of Pentecost, that everything in their life has changed. But if you read the scriptures, what you understand about the disciples is that is not true about them. That's not true. If you go to Luke 24 and 50, I have a lot of texts. Understand that you are going to get a lot of Bible through the book of Acts. So hang on, okay? So uh, Luke 24 and verse 50, it says this, and he led them out, talking about Christ as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem here's what they're doing these 10 days with great joy and we're continually in the temple blessing God what are they doing they're not a bunch of confused bewildered depressed cowards that's not it at all but they're worshiping God they're going to church and they're walking in joy is exactly what they're doing that's them Now turn over to the book of Acts, chapter 1, this time all the way down to verse 13. Let me show you again exactly what these group of guys and who they are. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, and the son of Alphaeus. And Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James, not Judas Iscariot, but the other Judas, Judas the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Now, can I tell you, this says a lot about this group of guys, because if you can get, or, and women, because if you can get a group of people in a room and they're all thinking alike, then truly it is the work of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? True? Yeah, it is. So you see, the Holy Spirit is working inside of them, absolutely. All these were in one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and a woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. These are men and women of power in prayer already. So what is Jesus telling them that they're to go to be clothed with power? What is he telling them to go and wait for that of the baptizing and then filling of the Holy Spirit? What is he talking about? What is he telling them? Because this is the birth of the church where it is code is born in power. It moves and operates today in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's different from power that makes us Christians and love God and, and and worship God. It's a power to make Jesus known outside of the areas of our life where we are comfortable. Mark, don't, don't get on me about the comfortable thing, okay? Don't, don't do that because I don't want to hear that because I'm in a comfortable place right now. And, and so I just don't want you to, to do that. I've had a coffee. I've had three donuts. I'm really good. I'm all jacked up on sugar this morning. I'm, I'm just loving the Lord Jesus. And, and, no, and, and, and worship was good and all that stuff. And then you want to come in here and say that God is going to empower us with the Holy Spirit so he moves us out of our comfort zone in life. Yes. Yes. Because here's what the Holy Spirit does. In 2 Timothy 1, 7, and 8, he gifts us with boldness. He gifts us with boldness. He does. Where does it It comes from that, of that, of being clothed with power from on high. The fullness of the Spirit within our life. It's the boldness that we see on the day of Pentecost when Peter steps out of the upper room that day and he begins to preach the first sermon of the church. I love this. And he preaches this powerful sermon. And he says this, and and he begins to talk about the things he knows about Christ. He goes back to the book of Joel, and he begins to quote the book of Joel, chapter 2, starting at verse 20. He talks about all those things. And at that day, 300 people are saved, baptized, and to them is extended the empowerment of the Spirit. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self control. Therefore, look what it says Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. I love this because when we read that first part, we love, we love, we love verse seven, don't we? For God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. That is wonderful. We can place that, you know, we can use that as a paintbrush to paint all kinds of areas of our life. But you have to read it in context. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He gives us boldness to move out of the areas in our life where we're comfortable. To share what we know about Christ and to make him known to the world. Wow. The second thing is this that the Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus as being Lord over all the areas of our life. It's 2 Corinthians 12 and 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except with the Holy Spirit. It's more than just words. That's what he's saying. It's more than just words but our very life testifies that of the work of Christ and how he loves mankind. And that is messy and that is inconsistent. Understand that because I truly believe in our lives as believers that the times we do get it right, that's a testimony of God loving the world and the times that we don't get it right and where we're simply walking in grace and mercy and the love of God, that simply says to the world that God is a God of love and mercy and God is a God of grace and that is messy and inconsistent and when we do get it wrong, grace fills in all the cracks of our lives. It's how I love and respect my wife, Reba. Yes. It's that I'm not provoking my children to anger. They provoke me to anger sometimes, but I'm not provoking them to anger. Yes. I'm loving and serving you as a neighbor. I'm allowing myself, I'm giving myself, I'm submitting myself to be discipled, and I am discipling others. This is not about perfection. As we say all the time here... But this is about progress within our lives. It's me managing that distance in my life between the real of where I am and my struggles in my life and the failures of my life and the ideal that Christ has set for me and saying, this is the person I've designed you to become. It's about how I manage the distance between those two. That's what what this is. That the Holy Spirit, He simply, He gives us boldness. He leads us to Jesus as being Lord over all the areas of our life and the Holy Spirit empowers us to do ministry as Jesus did ministry. Truly, truly, I say unto you, John 14 and 12, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And when we read that verse, I think sometimes we kind of get our wires crossed, don't we? Yes, yes. Because when we read that verse, we think, oh, this is amazing. And this verse is about me walking on water. And this verse is about me raising the dead. And this work is about me doing all of these kinds of things. But when I read this verse in context prior to this verse, is where Jesus gives us a new commandment where he says, love one another as I have loved you. And so what I realize in doing the works of Christ, what I understand this to really mean in my life is truly about loving others. It's about caring for others. It's about gauging, engaging in those that are marginalized in our culture, in our community. It's about embracing the outcasts of our world. That's what this is about. And so he gives us the promise of the Holy Spirit. That we fight against this cultural tendency to love each other superficially. That we fight against this cultural tendency to think that truly we are friends if we just simply have checked the uh, I am your friend box on Facebook that we're friends. Or I'm following you on Instagram. And again, you know, you say, Mark, we're so tired of you getting on that soapbox. Well, just hang on because they're probably going to be around a long time. And I keep to remind you, I love those things and they work real well. And I understand how we use those even in disseminating the gospel and informing you of things. But what I realize is they don't constitute friendship. They don't. Mark, in talking about all this, it just sounds like you don't like miracles. You know, you said we gotta, we gotta be careful. No, that's not it at all. Can I tell you? I love miracles, and I know that we serve a God of amazing miracles. I pray for people for the miraculous to take place in their life. Absolutely. Some years ago, I had the opportunity to pray for a blind man, and I saw him completely healed of blindness. That doesn't mean I'm a healer. That means that Jesus is the healer of the blind. Understand that. It has nothing to do with me other than just being his servant. Uh, But but I do know that there are times I prayed for my father-in-law. My father-in-law, who is a quadriplegic, I prayed for him for 30 years to walk, and he was never healed he never walked until his day of promotion when he went from this life to glory so those things do not anchor my soul but what i realize is it's loving jesus with all my heart all my soul and all my mind and loving my neighbor as myself and as uncomfortable as that is sometimes He closed us with power from on high to be his witnesses and to love those in life that may seem to be unlovable. Hey, there are people that are hard to love, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, don't look around. They may be around you, huh? Or if you eyeball somebody, you know, if you mean mug them, they're going to think, dude, what are you thinking about me? Because, you know, because I think you're pretty hard to love too. And all of a sudden we have this big fight here in the middle this morning and we pray for the Holy Spirit to show up and to do something in your heart. And, and so, yeah, we are all hard to love at times. And what I believe is that we love one another in the light of the gospel and that our lives reflect that of the love of Christ to the world because we are simply clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit To do God's work in this life. So I end with this. I might be able to end. It's amazing. I'm actually at point three. So this is truly a work of the Holy Spirit. It absolutely is. It's power for all believers. Because I think that when we look at this and we begin to think about, oh, this is what happened in the life of the disciples. We begin to think, well, it's just for them and it's not for us. Can I tell you, contrary to that thought, that belief, and that kind of skewed theology, it is for you today, for all believers. Because when I see Peter, when I see Peter in these scriptures, on that day of Pentecost, in Jerusalem that day, he stands up and he begins to preach the gospel. But before that, there's this crowd that begins together outside the upper room. And, and this crowd begins to hear them speak in other tongues. The language of those that were in the, in the crowd that day, they begin to hear them speak in these other tongues. And then, then when they come out, they think they're drunk because it's the early part of the day. And listen, it's okay if you're drinking in the afternoon, but if you're drinking this early in the day, you must be drunk, right? Yes, and you have a problem. So they think that they're drunk, actually. And then Peter stands up with this boldness. Here is Peter, who not long ago has denied Christ. Those memories are extremely fresh in his mind and those scars are very, very deep within his heart. He's denied Christ, but he steps up in boldness. Not his boldness, but the boldness of the Spirit within his life. And he preaches the first sermon of the church. He begins to quote Joel chapter 2, the prophecy of the coming of the Spirit for the indwelling of the believer. And he told them of his experience with Christ and who Christ was and what he's done for them. And 3,000 people respond that day. That is perhaps the greatest ever church plant launch that has ever taken place. It is, isn't it, right? Yes. 3,000 people the very first day. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, in my last reading this morning, says this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? <clears throat> In my imagination, because I love that scripture is, is written to be read with imagination, not reading something that is not, but yet we can put imagination with it, because not every, every thing and every thought and every emotion is described for us. And I think they're probably thinking, hey, they're, they're almost like, Peter, we've had enough. Stop preaching. You gotta stop. We've had enough truth. Just tell us how to respond to this because there was so much power behind Peter because he had been clothed, he had been clothed with power from on high. So much power. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you. Again, he quotes the coming of the gift of the Spirit and from Joel chapter two and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone from the, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Not some elite group. Understand this. But he's speaking to this group and they're farm fresh. Understand this, right? They are farm fresh. They have just accepted Christ into their life and now he's beginning to talk to them about an empowerment in their life to be witnesses. I love the next part. It's my favorite. And with many other words, Peter preaches long too. I love that. Isn't that wonderful? I'm in good company. That's great. Yes, thank you. He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Can I be as we end? Can I be prescriptive for a moment? with you about this being clothed with power from on high and so I think and I know what Luke writes in here to answer a question for you and I Mark you've given us all this information so how does this happen in my life how does this happen because I'm relating to some experience right now and I've kind of boxed this in about this baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I've boxed this in sort of in my life with this power, being clothed with this power from on high. Can I tell you, take the box away for a moment. Let's go to the Word of God for a second. What we just read. And so here's what the writer says. He said, verse 37 and verse 38, here's The process. Here's how this happens in your life. He said first you hear the word of God. That you hear. That Jesus is crucified. Buried. Raised from the dead. He ascended to the father. He's exalted over all of the universe. That in him and him alone. Is forgiveness and grace and mercy. And love. Him and him alone. That you. You. Heed the words of James where it says, not only are you a hearer, but you become a doer also that you act on what you hear. We act on the truth that we hear. Father, I believe these things are true. I believe these things are true of you. I hear your word. And then he said in verse 39, it's to those that are called by God. And this is the part that excites me, I think the most. For he says the promise is to you and your children. You know who he's talking to? He's talking to the Jews. He's talking to their comfort zone. He's talking to those that are of a church background and of a heritage. Well, I've been in church all my life. He said, yeah, the promise is for you. But I'm not stopping there. He said, and then all those who are far off. For those of us who have struggled with life and with sin. We struggled with God. We've lived in darkness until Christ came in and He became the light for our lives. I don't know a ton of scripture because I wasn't raised in the church under that. I've got John 3:16 down pretty well because there's always that guy. In NFL football games, that holds up the cardboard. you know? I've got that one. Here is the beauty of this. He says, it is for you. Oh, when I say that, I truly feel the witness of the Holy Spirit in my life right now. Because I think what that does, that takes some doubt out of some of your lives. That God can't use me. That God cannot come upon me. That I cannot be clothed in power because of this or that or the things I've done or my past or what I don't know. And the writer says, "Uh uh-uh, remove that from your thoughts. Do you believe in who God is? Do you believe in the work of Christ? Yes, I do. Then whether you have the background or whether you do not, you are called and it is for you is for you. And then lastly, he says, is for those that receive the word, verse 41, that the word becomes part of you. That you learn to trust God more, that he is with you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And I always say to you that this is messy and inconsistent in all of our lives, and we fluctuate in and out of this at times, and God is long-suffering, and God never loses patience with us. Aren't you glad? We lose patience with our children. And if you sit here and say that you don't, then you're a liar. That is sin. You need to repent from that, right? But God never loses patience with us because our lives are about progress, not perfection. The only perfection that we will see this side of glory is the perfection that God sees through His Son Jesus in our lives. That we trust that we're forgiven that there's no sin greater than God's forgiveness and he has a plan for our life and when we fail we're quick to repent but we know that we don't lose out with God because the security of our salvation is not based upon our faithfulness it's based upon God's faithfulness and I battle this tendency in my life And I will probably always battle it. And I say I because it's me that I always will battle this tendency to sometimes want to take over. And show God how it's done. The being clothed with power from on high. The baptism with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming upon you. For the power to be his witness. Is for all of those who hear the word of God, for those that are called by God, and for those that receive the word. So here's my thought as we close that we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit that guides us, that gives us boldness this morning, that enables us to do the work of Christ, who gives us that boldness beyond however we are wired. Can I tell you something about me? mark is actually a very disguised introvert i wear the extrovert costume very well okay understand that but inside of me lurks an introvert it is give me a book and a chair in a room by myself and i'm a happy dude you know that I'm the guy growing up that if I'm walking down the sidewalk and I see you coming and I know you, I will find some other reason to walk to the other side of the street so I don't have to speak to you. That was me because I was so shy. But through God's grace and His mercy... When He clothed me with power from on high, He baptized me with the Holy Spirit. Oh, He gave me power and boldness, not to exalt myself, but to exalt Him and to make Him known to others. So ask Him this morning. Pray to Him. He is the God who loves to give gifts to his children. Trust him for empowerment within your life today. Bow your heads for a moment, please. Father, as we have begun this journey, truly not all questions are being answered today, but we know that you will answer those throughout this teaching. And so, Lord, we trust you. We trust you in this journey. And, Father, wherever we are in our journey with you, we don't despise in any way our geography in that journey this morning because we know that you're with us. But, Father, you have made it very clear Through your word. That this gift is for all of us. Who have heard the word. Who you have called. Those that are near. And those that are far. That God you have spoken to us by your word. And that word becomes a part of our heart. And we truly believe. We truly believe. God that you have a plan for our lives. Greater. Beyond our jobs, beyond our profession, beyond our education. But you have a plan for all of us in this room. And that is to make you known. And so, Lord, we desire that power within our lives to be more effective in that area. So, Father, we pray to be clothed in the Holy Spirit. We pray to be baptized, Father, with the Holy Spirit this morning. We pray to be empowered to do your work in this world today. So, Father, we open our hearts and we open our minds to you. Speak to us today, God. Speak to us this morning, Father. Father, during this time of worship, may we seek you like never before for our lives. And we give you thanks in your name, amen. Would you stand with us, please?